are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights of the modern regeneration of the show. Today's episode is episode 7 of season 2, The Idiot's Lantern. They warned us about too much television. We should have listened. <laughs> this episode is written by Mark Gaddis, directed by Euroslin. It first aired on the 27th of May, 2006, and it was initially watched by 6.32 million viewers. Hi, this is Eugene. Let's introduce ourselves. This is Josh. This is Arlene. Hello, this is Auburn. Hi, this is Kelsey. Hi, everyone. This is Frank. And this is Brian. All right, let's get into it. It's a stormy night in London, 1953. Mr. Magpie, owner of Magpie Electronicals, falls asleep in his office after going over his books. Nearby, the Connolly family are listening to the radio. The son, Tommy, asks his dad to buy a television set. His father says no, but maybe for Coronation Day. Back at Mr. Magpie's, lightning strikes the antenna outside and a television turns on. The image of a woman on the TV calls to Magpie by name and wakes him up. She sends out tentacles of electricity from the TV which pulls his face toward it while she laughs fiendishly. <laughs> I love how you started that as a Rod Serling kind of reference. Submitted for your approval. <laughs> Which you approved. Well, it's definitely going for that kind of yeah. tone. The first thing we notice, I think, on this show is the camera angles. Yeah, the Dutch camera angles. Yeah, I didn't yeah. go to school for that. <laughs> what is that? But also, what we know as Batman called? 66 yeah, exactly, camera angles. Exactly. <laughs> but that's what that's called. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, at first I was thinking it was more of a, of a horror uh, element, but then as the episode went on, I realized it was more... Twilight Zone-esque, which is horror-esque, but um, it, 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 I felt it kind of gelled a little bit more as it went on because it was so d different from, from most of the episodes. I felt like it just brought us into the time period because, I don't know, I've that's watched true. a lot of reruns, so I'm like, okay, this is something that's bringing us back. This is the date that they're in, so that's what I thought of the camera angles. But I thought it was mostly, this is the episode we're going to try and scare the kids, Yeah, mm -hmm. and this is definitely visually getting you unsettled for that. Mm -hmm. I guess if a little kid, this is a good way if your kid's watching too much TV to, to just show them this episode. This would have freaked the heck out of me when I was a kid. Oh, daddy, daddy, I want to be in the TV. No, I wouldn't have been like that. I would have. <laughs> I like the little uh, touches that uh, set it in its time period. And it was interesting to know that in Britain, they did the same thing that the U.S. used to do at the end of days broadcasting because they don't end broadcasting anymore. But back in the day when they were done broadcasting, they would play the national anthem. And apparently they did the same thing in Britain because mm. it starts playing God Save the Queen when he's falling asleep. And then it goes to right. that, that image. Then, yeah. And then it just goes to static, which is what the... No, it went to uh, that, that, yeah, that... Off the air. Oh, oh, the off the air. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what were some of the other touches? You mentioned that well, there were a lot the of episode, touches. Well, throughout the episode, there's little... Like also the antennas on the roofs. It's we'll like, oh, there are no antennas on people's houses anymore. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we see one antenna right now that gets struck by lightning, and it's in the shape of sort of a swastika. Yeah, definitely. And all the antennas oh, look like there. swastikas. And, and then from then on, yeah. Mm. And that was intentional. They did that just to be kind of menacing and post-war, just to remind you of the time period kind of oh. And was this our first red lightning, or did we have red in previous episodes? I don't, I don't remember it jumping out at me, so... Maybe. We just, yeah. Their effects okay. budget went yeah. up. <laughs> Are you talking about like the, the tentacles that come yeah. out of the yeah. screen? They were red. And also that hit the antenna mm -hmm. in the air. Maybe just to connect that it's an alien yeah. thing. 
And another thing is that woman, well, I mean, it's an actress playing that character. It's definitely taken from a real life BBC woman yes. who, who did this job. I think she did it like from the late 40s to the early 50s. I looked it up, but um, I have so it it's kind of like one of those things where it's like if an American had a vision of somebody talking like Walter Cronkite, yeah. we kind of feel that same sort she of thing. She felt very okay. authentic. I yes. Yeah. yeah, she does a really good job, but that was very much a BBC thing. Even her accent, because uh, in the early years of television with the BBC, there was a BBC approved accent. Mm. You had to speak in that certain way, not not clipped, not cockney. You know, you pronounced every syllable. You speak, are you sitting comfortably? Mm. You know, and to get a job on the BBC, you had to speak that way. Mm. So no blimey. No blimey. <laughs> and no bloody. Mm. Bloody was like the worst that, swear word you could ever say. I have that information here. Uh, the phrase, are you sitting comfortably, then I'll begin, was popularized by the 1950 to 1982 BBC radio series, Listen With Mother. And it begins with those words. Looking at the it, I'm sorry, I just found the information. The, it's closely, the wire played by Maureen Lippman is closely modeled on British TV presenter Sylvia Peters. And so she was one of the BBC's uh, primary continuity hours from announcers from 1947 to 1958 um and she helped the queen in real life uh, learn how to do the queen's christmas speech mm. which is an annual event every christmas day the queen does a speech on tv that was new this won't this real life woman helped the queen how to have how to do that every yeah day. oh wow. nice i wonder if there's any correlation to that idea to this particular episode yeah. I think just, just I think pro maybe, but it's more just the time period. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody who lived through that time period would go, "Oh my gosh, they have that woman." Mm -hmm. The Connolly family at the beginning looks like a typical nice family sitting around listening to the radio, and even the grand the grandmother saying, "You know, no, we don't need a TV. It'll just rot your brain." And warning about how terrible that would be to have a TV. So it's a nice family, but you know something evil's lurking. You know something else is coming. You know, it's just a big setup for that yeah a month later the doctor and rose arrive thinking they are in 1956 new york to see elvis on the ed sullivan show but mm -hmm. arrive instead in 1953 london the day before queen elizabeth's coronation mr magpie is delivering tv sets and tells them that everyone can afford one thanks to the low prices at his shop rose notices that almost every house has an antenna but recalls that tvs were so rare in 1953 mm -hmm. that people gathered to watch the coronation in the few homes that had one has it been common and yet, even even in the first season, that they keep ending up in the wrong place. Like he doesn't mm -hmm. know where yes. he's landing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it happened with uh, Unquiet Dead. Yeah. Right, I do, I do remember that. And that also kind of goes back to the original series because oh, okay. the TARDIS was kind of cranky, so unreliable, mm -hmm. unreliable. Yeah, but much more fun. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not. You notice that they're they're surprised but not shocked. Yeah, they're like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And can I just say, just for me, scooters are not cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a scooter. It's a and then I was car. thinking helmets probably wouldn't have been used either if they were using a scooter in 1953. That's true. That's very true. true. And the other one was the costuming. Like, her dress was definitely not 53. But And I was thinking, okay, it could have been 56, but the material that her dress was made out of is not something <laughs> that would have been used. So I'm like, someone would have spotted that out really quick. Yeah, like, and her jacket was nylon. What is this? Like, and her like dress was polyester, and polyester wasn't used as much in the early 50s. So, 
Yeah. Her jacket was her normal jacket. Was it denim? Oh, was it? Yeah, it, it was no, that no. blue. The blue, oh, okay. It was that blue metallic looking yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, jacket yeah. that, that she was... always wears. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, oh, well, that's cool that she was able to wear that jacket yeah, and still it... be period, but... I didn't know if it was leather or not. Because she wasn't. I didn't really figure out what the... It had snaps and it was looked like it was nylon and... I don't know, the but old I, members only type? Not quite members only. <laughs> it felt very like if you were going to Elvis' show. So I'm like, I guess it, it would have worked if they were in New York in 56. Yes, it was much more. Right. Well, and they did it purposefully, and I thought it was really interesting because the other costuming that they had throughout the rest of the episode was really great. So mm-hmm. Yes, it was to, you know, to have them stand out and it just not fit in. And it's odd, for this episode, they actually went in costume. That's something, you know, Jack used to do mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like you dress for the period you're going to, and they never did. So, mm-hmm. oh, I guess they did a little bit on Quiet Dead, has <laughs> come to mind. But that but, was something that was, we're going for fun. This is just going to be a fun trip. That's, so that's nice mm-hmm. to see that they're doing other things besides right. seeing them, you know, having problems. Of course, they always run into them. But they do have fun. They are going just for maybe a date or something and the doc <laughs> and the doctor's hair yeah it's the only thing changed <laughs> that's just great the doctor's hair well his suit's kind of period in a way well really mm-hmm. how much do men's suits change exactly <laughs> <laughs> pants and Look a jacket okay unless it's the 70s well, there you go uh, oh my god <laughs> Down the street, Mr. Connolly exclaims to his wife, Rita, and son, Tommy, how great their new TV set is, but his wife is horrified at what happened to her mother's face since the TV arrived. Next door, a woman screams for help as two men place her covered-up husband into a waiting police car. Tommy runs outside and tells the doctor and Rose that many people are turning into monsters and being taken away. His father orders him back into the house. The doctor and Rose chase the police car through the streets of London, but lose them in a dead end. Rose suggests that they go back and question the neighborhood. Do you love how, at this point, Rose and the doctor are basically equal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. She has a plan, or he has a plan. She has an idea. He has an idea. It doesn't matter where it comes from now. It, they're both coming up with good ideas that are effective. Like when they're on that Vespa and she says, let's go back. He has a comment. I mean, he kind of teases her a little bit, but that's just because it's a doctor. But it's a good idea. You know, it's it's like definitely there. There's no subordinate role at this point. They're very independent and coming up with really good ideas. And especially when they go into the apartment uh, and start interrogating. Yes. Mm -hmm. even that first moment when they open the door and they both say hi, really big, <laughs> right. very comedic moment. And then the turn when the doctor gets angry and, and how she's real on the, the, the husband and doesn't let him get away with being uh, a jerk. Yeah, it's good. They're in sync. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very I did like how we don't see what's going on with people's faces. It's mm-hmm. all just talk. So it's right. just... The old fashioned building everything mm-hmm. up, well, covering up the people so you don't see what's going on, just to get you enticed a little bit into this. And they and they do show Magpie getting affected in the beginning to show you something creepy right. and spooky, but they don't show you the effect. That's Cause, true. Because then, but then the next time you see, see him, him, he's fine. It, he's almost unrecognizable. The first time you're watching it, you're yeah. going, "Wait, is that the guy we just saw in the beginning?" I didn't recognize mm-hmm. him. But you know, he's really he, why? Because he's he's it's a different. We he saw him so down on his luck yeah. and, and like. Now he's wearing a full suit. He's looks rested. 
you know, he's happy. He's, you know, chipper to do his job. Whereas oh. we saw him at the dark of night. Oh, my life is awful. He's and, losing money. Oh, and I all see. That. He's the one who's delivering the TVs. Right. And that, I didn't recognize him. I thought it was just a delivery man at first. Oh. Yeah, me too. Well, I, knew, I recognize the, the guy? actors. So okay. Maybe that's why I knew. And also, we don't know exactly if it's a month, but they reference a month later on. Oh. But, so it could have been a little bit longer that he he's been building rest. all this up. True. Well, speaking of the actor, if you may recognize him from Hot Fuzz, he was the doctor. Mm-hmm. Hot Fuzz. Yeah, the Sorry, no. <laughs> but when they turn down the alley, there's a big truck blocking the rest of the street, and mm-hmm. that's because there are modern cars that weren't moved. When they were so they brought the truck out to block all the oh, other really? modern cars and stuff, so you can't see oh. it. <laughs> and I do like a the nice whole... big TARDIS blue truck. Yeah. It's just yeah. in the middle of the street. <laughs> and I do like the Operation Market stall. Mm-hmm. It just calls for that. The drive through close it off, but the little cart in front of it. Like, like, like Indiana Jones. It's great. It's fun. I also like this doctor. You get a very 10th doctor thing in this where he's like, you know, when he finds out it's 1953 and he's like, I love 1953. Oh, and he lists off things and you kind of get that moment where this doctor just likes time, certain time periods mm-hmm. just because they're great time periods. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll do it again. I don't know if he's done it before now, but, but it's like, oh, this is a great year. Or I like this day of the week and I don't like this day of the week. So that's a very 10th doctor mm-hmm. uh, moment. And now going back to Rose, she's going to do what she normally does and starts the domestic approach is what the 10th doctor calls it. And I think that's showing more of their relationship. He knows what she's going to do and has Which like a name to it. A compliment. And mm-hmm. then wait a minute, is that an insult right. coming from you? <laughs> <laughs> Back at the shop, Mr. Magpie tells the woman in the television he is done and presents her with a device she ordered him to make. He says she is causing him pain and begs for her to make it stop. She tells him that there is still so much to do. So, Frank, you were talking about Cliff Richard. Who's that? Well, they mention it when they get out of the TARDIS and Rose knows the lingo. And she goes, oh, yeah, heard her mom always used to watch Cliff Richard. And he was the... British Elvis of the time. He had a big oh. number one hits. Everybody loved him. Did you say that she said, oh, yeah, she, Jackie would have watched him, wouldn't she? Did, you, did he say that? He said something, oh, yeah. yeah because she she, oh, yeah, she oh, would have. Oh, yeah, Jackie would have been a... Cliff Roberts. Cliff, Cliff Roberts. Richard Roberts. Yeah, we don't know who May have liked Cliff Roberts. Because he says the same thing about that she dated a sailor. Right. And he's like, yeah, oh, she would have, wouldn't she? He has sold 250 million records worldwide. He has a total sales of over 21 million singles in the UK and is the third top-selling artist in UK singles chart history, just behind the Beatles and Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. Who is this? So man? what's his top song? Do you have that there? The Idiot's Lantern. <laughs> <laughs> I read it. I didn't recognize it. Magpie and TV. Yeah. What kind his of 1958 hit single, Move It, is often described as Britain's first authentic rock and roll song. And John Lennon once claimed that before Cliff and the Shadows, there had been nothing worth listening to in British music. Wow. Mm, John Lennon says so. Then it must be true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, really. He's like the internet. Thus concludes Brian's corner. (laughs) Tommy goes up to his grandmother's room, but his father will not let him unlock the door. He brings Tommy downstairs and begins yelling at him, but is interrupted by the doctor and Rose at the front door. They witness Mr. Connolly bullying his family and 
Both the doctor and Rose put him in his place. Then they demand to know what is going on. Upstairs, they see that the grandmother no longer has a face. Suddenly, the police burst in, knock out the doctor, and take the grandmother away. The doctor recovers quickly and leaves to follow the car. Rose is distracted by electrical tendrils coming from the television. She investigates and sees that the set came from magpies. Mr. Connolly kicks her out of the house, so she goes to investigate the store. But that, did you say that the doctor, didn't he run off... Um, separately? Uh, separately. Like, he, he mm-hmm. left the house before that she... Yes. Okay. Yeah, but he wanted Rose to come with right, him. Right, right. But, but he but, had to chase. Yeah, but then he just went after the car. Which shows how much he trusts her and how much she's okay being on her own. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's how they are now definitely companions. And she's like, well, you go ahead. You can handle that. There's something here. I got right. to investigate. And it's one of the He's first not few worried time. about her. Yeah, it's one of the first few times that we feel... We don't feel, uh-oh, when they get separated. Yeah. Right. Or he just forgot... Because he was excited about chasing. In the heat of the moment. And we I feel like we've seen that before. Mm-hmm. Like where no, he called to her. He called to her. Oh, then, I know, but so I think he's like, well, she's not coming. I gotta go, otherwise I'm gonna lose them again. Yeah. So we get some characterization of the family here. Yeah. So you see that the dad is very much uh control, control, control and Well it's not even it's more like it's abusive. Yeah. yeah. Mental abuse. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. but in it to control. You know, mm-hmm. and, and he's very much of the vein of, you know, everything has to look good. Doesn't have to be good. Just has to look good. And, you know, sweep everything under the rug. And I was wondering by the end of the episode, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead just yet, but um, like how what the real the, the firm correlation is to why he was like that in this particular episode, because it wasn't like the, the alien was trying to control everyone. She it was trying to devour everyone. So. What's the agenda here for this character in this episode? I'm curious about. I just think it's people are like that. It very well could be. For me, I kind of look at it as who's the real monster in this episode. Mm -hmm. Well, I see it as that they're trying to poke at the family social construct in the 50s where the man's in charge, the woman's domestic. That's why the doctor makes that, oh, the domestic approach joke. Mm-hmm. But he did it as a joke, and Rose knew that. But then when they get to the house, they see, oh, this is not a joke. This mm-hmm. is what's really happening. So to show an episode where a woman can be empowered to say no to abuse, it was. I think that's what their agenda was. Like, yeah, abuse may seem normal because a lot of people looking at this family be like, oh, it's a normal family. But it's not normal. And you can say no. And I think that's what the writer was going So you don't think it was it. clued into the alien plot at all? No, I don't think it was at all. I think the writer definitely was talking about family constructs and abuse in the home and wanted to say, hey, you have more power. It's its own storyline and you can survive this. The monster correlation doesn't matter. So... Yeah, who's the real monster? Get rid of mm-hmm. the monster in your house. And being said in the 50s where everything has just changed because of the World War and women were allowed to take over jobs because at least in America, and I think it was probably in Britain too, just all the men would go to war. And so they had to get out of the house, get jobs, do other things. And in the 50s, they wanted to put them back in mm-hmm. and say, you did your part. Thank you. Go make a souffle. And it's like, no, things are changing. So his, the father's life is all different. He's losing control. He's coming back from the war and nothing's going to be the same. And he wants it the same. So he's fighting everything 
in the world to try and hold on to normalcy, what he thinks is normalcy and what he thinks his old world was like. And it's not, nothing's the same. So this is a major change. And it's like, no, I can't handle that. I'm trying to get everything back to the small little life I used to have. Yeah, and in counseling, they don't show it on the episode on the episode at all. But people who have that type of personality in front of other people are more likely to be physically abusive behind closed doors. So mm-hmm. I think it's an implied physical abuse, and that's why the son says, "Oh, he's just a monster." I think he was threatening to hurt him. See, I wasn't sure. I thought they might have toned that back so that there was a sympathetic or redemptive quality for the end that they didn't want to go as far as a physical abuse. If you were, it was an episode there to put out that if you were in a a domestic violence type of home, you would have caught it right away. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is violence. And they're like, oh, that's like my family. So it's just kind of opening that door for people to talk about it as well in their own home. I just assumed he was beating the heck out of his kid and the wife. I mean, that old lady later even told him to, right? That was in this where she was like, oh, you should beat that out of him, Mm -hmm. you know, as soon as you can. So it's a very normal, Mm -hmm. you know, it's normalized. It's not even. I think there's a lot of lots going on in that family house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I, when I watch it, I see the gay kid not being, you know, knows what threat he's under from that. So, and, and, you know, then that line, you know, you got to beat that out of them. And, and she says it so casually while she's watching the TV. I, I found that a very realistic thing, but I don't, I don't watch this episode and maybe it's just cause it's a doctor who, and, and it is just a fun kids television show. I don't see Eddie as a physically violent person. I see him mentally violent, which in its own way is just as bad, but mm. we didn't see a physical violence in there. Mm. So I don't, to me, it's like, I don't want to bring that to the table when I'm watching it. Cause to me, that's just very horrific. So I just kind of leave it. But, you know, I, sorry to go into like the psychology standpoint, you know, I do youth counseling. So with episodes like this, it, you kind of watch them and you see the reaction in the children and it kind of opens the door for them to talk about things that are happening in the home. And that's why I think that it's written so well, because you right away were able to see, you know, the gay correlation, right. because that's something that you grew up with that fear. Yes. So if a child that grew up with a fear that if they did something wrong, their dad was going to beat them, they will see that right away in that episode as well. So I thought it was very Mm -hmm. cleverly written. Not anything was put like in your face. It was more like, Hey, these are things that happen. Right. And it's not just you. So also, did you notice the reaction shots of the actors when the doctor and Rose are dressing down Mr. Connolly? The son is worried and kind of smiling. He's, he is worried, but he's kind of enjoying it. The mother is worried and terrified. Mm-hmm. The look on her face, because she knows you people will be leaving. Mm-hmm. And then I have to deal with the aftermath. And I think Tommy being younger is still in that moment of he's going to enjoy this moment. He might learn later. But, you know, I mean, I don't I, I still don't like just my own personal thing. I don't want to go into a physical thing, but that he'll rip them to shreds. He's going to just torture them. 
when those people leave because that's how he is. He's got to regain his control Control. and his his king of the castle moment. And the only way he knows how to do that is to abuse them. Mm -hmm. And that's the first part of the scene. But by the time he gives in to the doctor and tells Mm -hmm. him. Get you know, out. She's no, the, no, not no, that part. You know, about the grandmother. Mm-hmm. He goes, no, she won't stop. She's doing all this. You can see that he's changed a little bit and he's giving into the authority of the doctor. Oh, right. Point. So I don't she know. She won't stop. So at she that point, stop. I don't know how much he would retaliate against his family. Oh, he would. But he is. But then it goes back to the end. Well, because it's like, he, okay, now he's back to he, being that controlling. Yeah, because bit. he, the doctor keeps going at him and establishes himself as a higher authority than him. So... He's answering the doctor's questions at that point. The moment the doctor's out of the house. Because he does change going, wait a minute, even at the doctor. He's going to, yeah, he's going to, he's going to be really. Mm -hmm. And that it was witnessed in front of his family. He's just going to go crazy. I love the dressing down though. Oh, it was great. Yeah. And and, 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 and Rose with, you know, it's the Union flag. It's not the Union Jack, which is just hysterical. Mm. And so. I, I even like that, like I said, the thing before, like she knew all that because Jackie dated a sailor. Yeah. Like it comes back to character. <laughs> it's not just convenient that she knows these yeah. things. There's a reason for it. And it's funny. And it's it's uh, services the character arcs. And on the lighter side of the scene. The whole birds and the wallpaper that they <laughs> did the set uh, dressing. <laughs> Just remind me, a little bit of Norman Bates with all the birds on the wall. And then yeah. uh, there's an accent wall with a different busy pattern. Uh, did you notice the rug? I noticed the rug. There was all, it was all cool patterns, but I was like, man, that is a Too busy much. room. <laughs> I did like the floor creaking when the grandmother was walking mm-hmm. towards. That was creepy. And I thought her face was done really well. I think there's hers, a lot of texture to it. I think she was the, the only one with makeup. makeup. Yeah, she was the practical one. That's why. Yeah. Oh, so oh, no, no. The grandmother's the other way around. The grandmother, no? because of the actress's age, none of that is practical. The That's all stuff? digital. Really, There's even the close-up. Close up? Yeah, they yeah. weren't going to put that actress through the. Because too hard to breathe. Mm. The scene. I mean, because everything. Rose is later. Because they said it on the commentary we listened okay. to last night. Oh, but they could have done it with any other actress. Like it didn't have to be. They the probably had the money. budget. Yeah, maybe. But later on, when other people show it, I think it's because they tried to act texture because she was older, mm-hmm. and so it looked better. And the other ones were younger, so they had smoother skin, so it just looked. I think the others are like a digital blur, yeah. right? Yeah, like, it looks like a di- like um digital maybe not digital, cosmetics. but something yeah. that they did. Right. It's yeah, it's digital. The they said they had the they were putting cross marks on everybody's faces. Okay. Oh, all right. And with Rose. Well, yeah, rose the matting. It's like if you look fuzzy. at the edges, I think that's where you know stuff like that yeah. breaks down a little bit. But regardless, some, like odd, but uh, it looks good. I think the grandmother's is the best looking yeah. one, no matter how they did it. <laughs> huh. One thing I do want to mention is the f- battle between Connolly and the Doctor. Yes, was a word battle, and words are the Doctor's weapons. Mm. And the other guy was totally unarmed to that. I and mean, you just saw how he could use those words and how he can control everything. Mm-hmm. But I also liked how at the, when the, the coppers showed up, like that word is like, it oh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. words like ran out. You can't keep talking once you're knocked out. <laughs> Rose confronts Magpie about the televisions and he locks her inside the shop. The woman appears on the television and states she is the wire and she is hungry. <laughs> Tendrils of energy from the television attach themselves to Rose's face, pulling it toward the TV. Her hungry call reminded me a lot of Are You My Mommy? Mm. Just, just this creepy, 
uh, like wailing call. It was a combination of the elements, like the way that she looked. She was always cheery, and then the black and white uh, footage and, and the way she said it. She was dress. an adult crying like a child, mm-hmm. and it just creeped the heck out of me. <laughs> and it adds like the same thing with uh, "Are You My Mommy?" It's like such a clear motivation to our our villain. That's mm-hmm. you know such a base level, mm-hmm. simple like mm-hmm. "Are You My Mommy?" Hungry that. It, it becomes less of, you know, a person that's thinking and is planning and more right. just like this force of nature that's going to move through right. our it, episode or our character. And she, I mean, the actress, yeah, she does a great job mm-hmm. of going from that prim proper BBC, like high level culture to like Brian just did that hungry, just <laughs> I always of, kind of think it's a little over the top, but it's for the kids. But she buys it. I mean, she, mm-hmm. she, she sells, sells it. it. She yeah. goes for it. I agree with you about the similarity, but I don't think that she sells it right. I like a year my mommy and I don't like hungry. I I wanted more of either a guttural or feed me. Because yeah, the hungry I just got more annoyed at the sound of it. No, it was more staged, like little shot <laughs> yes. of horrors, mm-hmm. definitely. But that's why I think it works in this. I mean, I found it annoying as well, but I, I was creeped out by how annoying it was. And I think this whole episode, the, the Dutch angles and the <laughs> and the way it's shot and the close-ups, and the, I totally thought a little shot of horrors as well. And that's why I think it fits. I just didn't like it yeah, that much. Yeah, that's yeah, all yeah. I think. <laughs> The doctor sees the police car go into the secret alley and finds a way into the warehouse behind the entrance. Inside, he finds all the faceless people caged together. The doctor is then caught by those who have been gathering them up. Detective Inspector Bishop begins to interrogate the doctor, but the doctor quickly turns the tables and has the inspector answering his questions. During this exchange, they bring in another faceless. Rose. I want to see the webisode of the the guy, the street market guys who are sweeping constantly, and then like <laughs> like ten hour breaks while like nobody's coming around, and then oh, quick, get back to sweeping. Like he's the man in black. Yeah, I know it's what two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, sweeping. sweeping that, yeah, and they they look at the doctor like I love that little look that one of them gives. So it's like yeah, we yeah, know said. we're like we're doing this again, but uh, it's like just go away now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm not paid to any do anything else. It's just leave your <laughs> uh, there is a blooper here with the sonic screwdriver where the doctor goes in before he puts it back in his pocket coat it flashes on his face but there's no sound effect <laughs> so if you, if you oh. notice that and on the uh commentary david Tennant is like it bugs me every time i see it i just clicked it for a second <laughs> <laughs> well i like that scene with the uh the Inspector, inspector mm-hmm. how it starts off, you know, he, the doctor's being interrogated, uh, the inspector's standing above him, and by the end of the scene, the doctor's standing above the interrogator. Mm-hmm. And, and and also, well, the reason I asked about the, the magpie shop scene was that um, watching it this time, I kind of felt like magpie was trying to save Rose more than cover up what he was doing. Like, you want to yeah. get out of here, yeah. miss. You no, he's get trying to get Rose out. Right. Whereas the yeah. other times I'd watched it in the past, I was like, oh, he's trying to get away with what he's what he's no, doing. No, he's really being tortured. Yeah. And, and he's he doesn't want this to happen to Rose. Yeah. Yeah. So he's giving her every opportunity, but Rose right. just... is persistent. I, I love the little um, start from the beginning, you know? Isn't that the moment where he says, well, you know, you can't wrap your fingers around your elbow and have them touch? <laughs> now, w- when they go back to the policeman, the two-shot, the, the two watch the guy in the back. Because uh-huh. the guy in the back just subtly... Takes his left arm. Puts his fingers around <laughs> his elbow. Yeah. He's testing it going... 
oh, I can't do that. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's just a little moment. But again, this is now this is the doctor's weapon, words. And this is the scene where you see him using his weapon perfectly. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they do start out with that same line. Start from the beginning, tell me everything you know. Starts the scene and then ends the scene. But the, do- the doctor saying it rather than the inspector. The same words, which is great. This is also the first reference of Torchwood that we have in this episode. Oh, it's where? It's very muted. Uh, you can barely hear it, but uh, the, just, <laughs> the detective inspector Bishop says to the other guy that put his arm around his elbow, Torchwood will be all over us, where, mm. where the doctor is seeing and reacting to Rose's facelessness. Yeah, because earlier on, the doctor is saying, oh, you've got orders from on high and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. And then it's kind of insinuated that Torchwood is... Is in charge. Yeah, calling the shots on this. One thing I noticed that I didn't know, I didn't understand, was the hand grasping. Hmm? All of the faceless people yeah, they do, uh, do yeah. a hand grasp every once in a while. Did that ever? Was that ever explained? I will I do so that. now. <laughs> it's not explained. It's, it's not, not it's explained, explained in so there because first, it's behind the scenes. So we first but, see this in the cage. Mark Gaddis, who was the writer of this, mm-hmm. who we always go, who is this? And, <laughs> and who is he, Brian? Mycroft Holmes on Sherlock. Oh, and we always say, oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a writer on this. And in 2005, he and David Tennant both starred in The Quartermass Experiment, which was a live remake of the 53 series. And this is taking place in 53. So that was a nice little tie-in. And they had just done the show in 2005. So when he was writing this, he put the hand clasp, which shows an alien taking over somebody who came back from space. And he was infected. By an alien, and that was uh, his so was clue. Like his and so this was a homage, homage, so a throwback to that was, that they had just. Done. It really didn't mean the like same a, thing. Like a side just, effect of being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a clue of saying something's wrong. Just uh, weird because I kind of took it as a sign of aggression. Mm. Like they were going to fight back or because he was walking around and then, and then they started like gripping yeah. their hands. I did until we saw yeah. later the uh, when the inspector's like that and he was doing it by just and he was just lying down. Yeah, that's but, it. That's and, it. I saw, and I saw it differently as more of a yeah. sign for trying to help reach out, reach out or do something. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we saw it, but it was only put in just as a reference to something else they had just worked on together, which was nice. So it was all just an Easter egg. It was for them. Yes, mm-hmm. but something that we know, all noticed. Mm-hmm. It was like, what is that? Also, it's yeah. Show that they're close up of it, right? That they're not sentient, it's it's just this mechanical Mm -hmm. thing. It it worked regardless. Yeah, the doctor goes to see Tommy to find out what really happened with his grandmother. The Connollys are having family over to watch the coronation, and Mr. Connolly will not have it disrupted. Tommy figures out it was his father who was notifying the authorities so he could protect his status and reputation. Rita tells Tommy to go and help the doctor and locks Mr. Connolly out of the house. And this is where you get the who's the real monster. Because mm-hmm. you really saw Connolly lose it. Because I mean, he acting, when I saw it, was just so over the top. But that was just, you know, the character losing it totally about mm-hmm. talking about the grandmother being so filthy and how he ratted out everybody in the whole neighborhood to just get rid of the problem so you don't see it. Everything. What is Mr. Connolly's job? At the beginning in the cold open scene, he's wearing medals. Medals? Yeah. Because I think so, he, he, I, he, was off he was a soldier. A, he was off to a... Um, I took that to mean he was off to like a... A lodge meeting. A lodge meeting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. You know, he's veterans, a veterans of foreign... 
He's a businessman. No, no. He was something where you get your hands dirty because he wanted his son not to go to college and just follow in his right, footsteps. Right, right. They never a said what it was. Or something? Mechanics? Yeah. I can't remember. But something manual. He's a foreman. Yeah. Probably not. I don't think he has any power at work. Oh, so he, that would be so he gets point. it at home. That's right. Tommy tells the doctor his gran was just watching TV the night she was changed, and they go to Magpie's where the doctor finds the device Magpie made for the wire. The sonic activates the wall of televisions, which now show all the missing faces, including Rose's. Mr. Magpie enters the room, and the wire shows herself on one of the screens. She is planning to use the brain energy of the faceless to become corporeal again. The device she had Magpie build is a portable TV that will turn a large transmitter into a receiver to collect the energy from the millions of people who will be watching the coronation. She attacks them with electric tendrils, but the doctor pulls out the sonic screwdriver. Sensing the danger, she retreats to protect herself, knocking out the doctor, Tommy, and the inspector in the process. I like the running gag of the inspector noticing all the TV technology. Right. Oh, yeah. First, oh, He's like, that's it's portable. A, it's a portable television. <laughs> television. And later on, a color te- Like, he's about to get killed, but he's, he's amazed at the technology of the television. And there was a cutscene where he goes, it's HD. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how Tommy be, sort of becomes the companion mm-hmm. of this yeah, episode. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a good one. But really, why does the doctor have to lick things? Because <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> oh, it's so I know. gross. <laughs> but that's what this doctor this does. This doctor does. Yeah. Yeah. He, I don't know if it's Tennant's idea or not, but I was like, this is what the doctor does to get information. And so he licks it and he does get what's Time needed. Lords have different uh, uh, nerve receptors in their tongue. this is not the first time he licks it. No, no, he does it a lot. No, he does the wall in uh, Tooth yes. and Claw. Yeah. So gross. He goes, it viscous. Works. Yeah, I agree with it you. Works. He's like, viscous. <laughs> and then this one, he goes, bake light. <laughs> Words being his his weapon, it's all about, yeah, about the, tongue. the tongue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. But wouldn't okay. he want to protect his tongue? <laughs> it's regenerating. <laughs> I like um, that the doctor gave Rose credit. It's like Rose got it right away. Their antenna on the right. TV. There's something mm-hmm. odd going on, and she picked it up right away. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch that. Is this also earlier, the first time we saw the doctor get super protective of Rose when she was in danger or something? The end of the first season? <laughs> well, that's killed. funny you guys bring that up. Because <laughs> we have some behind-the-scenes information we want to give you. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, let me find it first. Well, while you're looking... Um, Found it. With, uh, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Whether it's the first time or not, I always like it. Yes, I, I, always, I do too. I always really because it becomes more of a running thing throughout. So what you guys were talking about, Mark Addis originally wrote the script with the Ninth Doctor in mind because there was, he was, Eccleston was going to continue with the second Ooh. season, but then that wasn't to be. So that's why you get that. It feels very Eccleston to me at that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Eccleston would have played it differently, but when seeing Absolutely. Rose's face and that fatherly, protective It would have been more of a feeling. quiet anger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it would be, oh, you pissed him off. Mm-hmm. And Tennant just goes... I think a little too over the top on this one, mm-hmm. but he's trying to make it different in his own. Mm-hmm. But I could just see Eccleston, you would just see that calm juggernaut coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. There's no going to be stopping him. And I just, now that I know that Eccleston was going to, this was written f- with him in mind, you can see a lot of that. They added a humorous part of the doctor, but when you strip it away and the type of fight he had with Connolly in yeah. there, I could see Eccleston doing it so differently and making it his, and that would be his doctor. Mm-hmm. 
The wire transfers herself to the portable device and orders Magpie to take her away. He carries her to Alexandra Palace, the largest television transmitter in London. The doctor and Tommy awake and gather supplies for the doctor to make something to stop the wire. He builds his machine as they run to the transmitter station. The doctor tells Tommy to keep his machine switched on and goes outside to climb the tower where Magpie is attempting to attach his device. Magpie connects the device to the tower and the wire begins draining everyone watching the coronation of their brain energy. So the doctor is sans coat and then he goes back to the TARDIS not only to get his coat but to get a beta video cassette. Do we see him go back to the TARDIS? It's a very brief scene running out of the TARDIS. Very quick. That's probably why I don't remember. He does say one one more thing. In the shop, they're running out and he says, I have to get one more thing. And then Mm. cut to the TARDIS. Basically, the TARDIS store, he's already shutting it. And they're running and we don't know what he got. But he now got he's wearing his coat. <laughs> so the billows yeah. behind him. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it looks good running in the wind. <laughs> maybe I didn't notice the TARDIS because it was blending in so well in the... I just thought I he was it. running out of a police box. Oh. <laughs> I didn't get that until mm, we watched it the last time. Yeah, last night, because we were watching it, and Eugene and I were like, oh, that's where he got the tape. And you were like... Wait, what? Because <laughs> I never understood that. Videotape. Well, we're ruining the ending, but you've probably watched it already. Hopefully. If you're listening to this. <laughs> but I never understood where that came from, where yeah. the tape yeah, came from. So neither. thank you for filling that in for me. And kids, a videotape <laughs> is yeah. a Don't little box-like thing <laughs> that had a magnetic strip that recorded images. And you could record over. Using electromagnetic signals. Yes. <laughs> it looks like a cassette tape. But yes. But bigger. They don't know what cassette tape is. A cassette tape is. A cassette tape is what. It's like a videotape. Yeah, but you see them on shirts where they're like panicked and they're all multicolored. Or as phone cases. For you hipsters out there. Or on purses. Or in Guardians of the Galaxy, a mixtape. Yes, there we go. Yeah, so hipsters, just look at your shirts. That's what you're wearing. By the way, did you also notice that when the brain energy is starting to get sucked? out of everybody's face in the home. Did you see it's even the dog? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I was like, oh, not the dog. Now you know no, the wire's evil. <laughs> the one thing I didn't like about that sequence in a way was how long it was taking mm-hmm. for yeah. the people. And then the people were fine afterwards because it barely took like 30 seconds and the and the inspector... Well, it could be the proximity because the wire's right there where the transmitter... Oh, it could be. Mm-hmm. And also to uh, the fact that she was defeated at the end. Yeah. But the mother gave the stuff she was holding away and went to her kids to right kids, away. That's true. Yeah. So it wasn't like they recognized something, something oh, was yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, so it wasn't but just I just mean that the after effect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I they, agree with you. I wish they would have mentioned the race of the wire. I want to know more about this race that executed her. Yeah. But obviously did a good Did job because she's still around. Just the wire. Here. That's it. No. The she's race the wire, but they never no. mentioned what the race is. I did find that. That I actually found to be. The most corny thing that bothered me in the whole episode is that it was called The Wire. <laughs> right. Like, at all these other episodes, they have, you know, Rexaflaxopatorium and this, that, and the other, and then The Wire. <laughs> oh, I figured that's what she was just calling herself because she was in The Wire at you know, the time. I, I just, agreed, but And so easy. to explain to the humans, oh, I'm The Wire. No, I agree with you. Magpie complains that his head still hurts, and she promised him peace. So she gives him peace by killing him. As the doctor activates his machine remotely, a tube burns out. Tommy is able to replace the tube, reverting the tower back into a transmitter and trapping the wire inside the doctor's machine. With the wire gone, everyone is returned to their natural state. 
So Tommy saves the day. Yeah, and I like it was he's the one that thought of it. It wasn't like the doctor said if something happens, replace the bulb or whatever. Right. Yeah, he was resourceful enough mm-hmm. to do it on his I own. I like this kid. <laughs> um, also, did they say anything in the commentary about the the scene where they're climbing the tower, like how it was done special effects wise? Because the compositing is a little. It was off. composited. Yeah, right, it was. I never really thought about it before, but last night when I was watching it, I was like, oh. I thought it was good, but they're I did. What, I did twelve to twenty sleep. feet above. Twelve, they're twelve feet off the ground. Uh, but but were they actually climbing on that thing? I don't think so. I think no, no, they built it. Yeah, they they, oh, they, they built that. That's all, all right. built. But yeah, they actually did climb twelve feet off the ground uh. to do it. But isn't it one point where it's either part of the coat or his leg is part of his foot? It, the composite is a little. Oh, off. maybe that's something I know. I don't know. It just. I noticed something. I felt a little Doc Brown moment while he was climbing. Yeah, yeah. yeah especially with the, with the little um, transistor thing, that like the spooling. That's yeah, what reminded well, and me. Even uh, was it was it the doctor? Or was it Magpie who was like dragging? No, it was, it was a doctor. It was a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad you had that because I had that note too. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Tommy, <laughs> Tommy, we gotta stop the fire. One point twenty one. I did like the set design, I guess, of the tower and the, mm-hmm. uh, what would you call that? The, was, uh, the Yeah, I know. The coil thing. <laughs> no idea what to do with your hands they, they sort of looked like the top of the Kremlin. <laughs> you know, the... Uh, the coily thing. The coily yeah. things. The, thing, I don't, the conductors or the radio things that sent the signal out. Trans- transistor. It's a transmitter tower, but, but I don't know the parts. Yeah, 50s looking sci-fi Got thing, mm-hmm. which probably was just part of the technology that day. Yeah. Did you also notice on the uh, uh, videotape when the doctor ejects the videotape from the machine? Oh, I I invented videotape 30 years early. But did you notice on the side it was labeled and there were Gallifreyan writings that he had crossed oh, really? out and wrote some other and then crossed out because he kept taping over. Uh, no. That's, and that's it's just that when you realize that it, it, it's Gallifreyan writing, then yeah. you realize that's what he's doing. It's like, I had so many videotapes like that that yeah. had been crossed out, written underneath, crossed out, written underneath. And it was a Betamax as opposed to a VHS right. tape. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's Betamax. <laughs> so kids, a pen is something that used to write information on. It looks like a stylus. Hands. It looks like a stylus on paper, and paper is... The Doctor and Tommy go to the warehouse and are reunited with Gran and Rose. Rita kicks her husband out of the house, which suits Tommy just fine. Rose talks him into going to his father so that they might have some relationship in the future. I like that scene. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, or goes with her character, that's the... F- father she's got sympathy towards well but she also father. says you're smart enough to save the world mm-hmm. so don't just stop with the world mm. she's she's implying go save him mm-hmm. make him a better man mm. i don't uh, think it'll work yeah but i think it works in that moment because he's not we don't see him being physically abusive yeah. because if he was that moment wouldn't have played it's a very touching moment I but really do like you also it. notice that the doctor's okay with him not you know, mm-hmm. to Tommy says, oh, good riddance. And the doctor just like nods his head. Oh, okay. The doctor's like, no second yeah. chances. Right. And then it's Rose. Yeah. You know. And I think to Josh's point, Rose is saying that because she doesn't have a relationship with her father. So she's like, hey, yes. your yes, dad's still absolutely. alive. So yeah. go after mm-hmm. him. Yeah. My like, dad's gone. Yeah. And I again, totally another character connection. Mm-hmm. So. And also too, earlier. I'm to interrupt you. No. Earlier in the episode, 
Rose like ran to the wife. Was it in the room? She mm-hmm. ran to somebody to console her. To console her, like it's right. like again, like like the uh, in the se- in the second episode, first season, and she's always going to the, the people who are in need the most. Did anyone else notice how many times Rose mentioned her mom, especially at the beginning of this episode? I, mean, I don't know. That just like that just stood out to me, and I was just wondering, like, I wasn't keeping a tally, but I did notice it was like three or four times, and three times all within like the first ten minutes. Of our episode, like she mentions the oh the story that my mom told me about how everyone huddled into a house for the coronation, and then she's like, oh my mom and I used to watch this show with the with mm-hmm. Cliff Richard, and then again when she was like, oh my mom dated a sailor, and I was like, goodness, like why? <laughs> and I don't know, is it because we just came from the episode um, in the alternate oh, universe, the and we're we're trying to like. Oh. Um, she lost her because Jackie died. That Jackie was gone. Right. Wow. I'm just, I'm just wondering, be. like, yeah, are, is, are, is the writer, are they priming us for something later on where her mom oh. comes back? Or is this like, am it, I just noticing it because we had a very big storyline with, with I think, Jackie? Yeah, I think maybe mom. it's sort of keeping off screen characters alive, okay. but also giving an excuse for this young girl to know about these things. Yeah. yeah, that's true too. So it's probably a little bit of both. Like, well, what about Captain? It's like how they did in that one mini episode. Like, well, what's going on with Captain Jack? Yeah, you, just, you know, to keep just the- like remember, audience, there's mm-hmm. these other characters. But I think they, it's a like, how else is she going to know these things? Right. You know, uh, some some notes here. Magpie Electronicals logo has been in other episodes in Doctor Who oh. since the Idiot's Lantern. Oh. Uh, it's seen on Martha Jones's television set in The Sound of the Drums, Ooh. aboard the Starship UK in The Beast Below, <laughs> on the Doctor's electric amplifier in Before the Flood, hmm. and even in, <laughs> and even in within the TARDIS itself on the eleventh hour onwards. It's on the TV. Hmm. Why would it be on Martha's TV though? If he died, and the, it would have gone out of business by then. Maybe Tommy took over the business. <laughs> he he didn't know how to change that bulb. He, he didn't know how to change that bulb. That's a vacuum tube. A trans, yeah, it's a tube. It's so a trans- kids a bulb. Oh yeah, that's right. Anyway. So apparently, <laughs> apparently there was no reconciliation with his father because he decided to keep the bad guy's name rather than <laughs> call it Connolly's TVs. <laughs> I'd rather it be Magpies. <laughs> we missed the we missed the ad where it goes magpies electronical courtesy of Conley too <laughs> I also looked up uh, magpie because I just thought that was kind of an odd name it's a superstition to see a lone magpie brings bad luck mm. uh, the doctor also makes reference to a song never too late by Kylie Minogue incidentally <laughs> she will appear in the Doctor Who episode right. later on <laughs> I did um, I don't know if I felt this way originally when I would watch it, but uh, I, I really felt bad for Magpie. Mm-hmm. And I found that interesting that basically the man who, the, the character who was carrying out the evil plot physically, you you were always on his side in a way. I mean, you never wanted him to succeed, but you, you always. I thought they had written Magpie more menacing. Yes. Oh. At the beginning, then toned it down. Yes. Mm-hmm. They wanted you to feel bad for him. Yeah, no, I really, I like that. It's, it's the dichotomy of it. Shall we say who this episode is good for? A new Who viewer, a casual viewer, a fan of Doctor Who, or a diehard? Josh, why don't you go first? I think a casual viewer who's sort of seen it before. I think it's a good standalone episode, but I think the style of the way it's shot 
isn't in line with how it usually is. So a new viewer would think, is this the show? And it's kind of not the show. It's just they sort of, the story is very the show. Mm -hmm. But the way it's directed, which I like, is not. So I think that would have too much influence over a new viewer. So I say casual. Cool. Weirdly, I would say it's good for anyone. Like even if you like accidentally caught it on TV and you're like, oh, this is interesting. It's a just good introduction to some characters and it shows you that it could be weird and maybe not always the same. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm okay with a new Who viewer. Mm. And even when I watch this over again, I don't remember watching it. So I don't know if it's like a bad thing or a good thing because it didn't leave a huge impression on me. But it was kind of like, oh, this was a fun episode to watch. Like a nice little standalone? Yeah, a nice standalone. So it doesn't matter Like if you didn't like it, then hey, here's another one. So... Hmm. New. You're making me change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it does have a lot of good, like it's got the time Either travel. Go ahead. Sorry. It's got the time travel of the 50s. It's got the sci-fi. It's got the, cre it's got all of the Doctor Who elements. Yeah. I just didn't know if Arlene should always go first because she always has a thinking <laughs> <Yes>. different way. <laughs> or go last so that it doesn't affect our way. <laughs> no, I'm going to be Lucy. Oh, that yes. looks good. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. <laughs> I already changed your order when you Because I already changed order. it because of what Josh said. Now I'm going to lean. Oh, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I never agree with you. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with uh, the fan of Doctor Who. Um, I do like it. It's, it's a good episode. It's got good stuff in it. But I am a fan of Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And like, um, like you said, Arlene, I don't remember it. Like, like I didn't go into it saying, oh, yeah, this one. Or, oh, I really hated this one. So... I'm going to say, um, yeah, fan of Doctor Who, just because, um, you know, they can't all be for everybody. So right. thank you, Auburn. Well, <laughs> I do remember watching this episode and I remember not liking it. And I remember not remember, but like when we are going to do this podcast, we have to watch it again. I was like, oh, this episode, I really never wanted to watch this episode mm -hmm. ever again, just because it didn't leave an impression on me. I didn't enjoy watching it the first time. So, um, even though, you know, we, we, we found a lot to talk about in this episode, like it, it brought up a lot of good discussions. I'm going to say that this episode is, um, is good only for a diehard fan who has to watch every single Doctor Who episode because I don't consider myself a diehard. I consider myself a fan and I didn't like this episode. So it's good for, I'm going to say it's good for a diehard. We got our first diehard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm a little torn between either the fan or the diehard. I'm on the fence on that one. <laughs> I don't think it's good for a new viewer because it's not really representational of the show in that they're in costume. It's a little different than what they usually do. I didn't like the episode overall. It's not one I hate, but it's like Arlene was saying, it's you don't really remember it. It's not one that you come up with of being, well, what's the worst episode? There are some others that fit that. What's the best one? <laughs> I think a fan would like it, and I don't... Oh, should I go for four, the fourth one? <laughs> I'm just a diehard. Oh. I feel like it's just so middle of the road. It's kind of like, you can't really super fail in this one. Like, people can say, so like, what? Oh, nothing really great, but nothing really terrible. Yeah, and it's just like... And it has a lot of, like, story, and it's fun, and they're solving something. I don't know. And because we had a lot to talk about, I'm going to go fan. The third category. I think if someone was a fan of the Twilight Zone and they never and they were a new viewer, I would say 
this would be okay to watch for them because it's in line with that. Right. But the style of how they filmed it and everything was so unique. It's not right. That's why it's, it's, normal. it's something I wouldn't go for a new time viewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I'm going to go. I'm going to say fan. I agreed with Auburn. <laughs> um, it's not the best. Certainly not the worst. I kind of wonder if a casual fan might be turned off because like Josh says, it, it, it the the production is not really what the show usually looks like. I mean, they might wonder it's some weird. Yeah, you know, they're always going to be doing weird things. You don't want to say, "Oh no, it's not always like this." Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to stick with the fan. I do think fans would enjoy it. I enjoy it. I don't ever seek it out, but if I have the disc playing and the continues on into this episode, skip. I skipped it. I skipped it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to say fan. I'm probably going to go with casual just because we had a lot to say and I don't have anything bad, particularly like horrible remembering this episode, but also nothing particularly great, but it's also not as bad as some episodes will be. So I'm going to lean toward casual on this one. Um, And one more thing I wanted to point out is that the, the theme that they play, the anthem, the national anthem for the United Kingdom is God save the queen. And it changes depending on who's on the throne. And that's, for us in America, we know that as my country tis a D, that the same melody. So that's right. if you remember hearing that, that's why. You've heard our views. What do you think of this episode? How it was shot? Do you like the style? Do you not like the style? Let us know. Email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. So that wraps up the Idiot's Lantern, and we will see you next time when the future becomes the present. Thank you for listening to this episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. You can find his work at theuniverseexplodes.com. You can find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Who Knew Podcast. All of our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Greener, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain. The Doctor and Tommy go to the warehouse and are reunited with Gran and Rose. Rhoda... Rhoda. <laughs> Mare. Oh, sorry. Start again. Uh, Hold on, let me blow my nose real quick. Everybody cough. Yes. Wait, I'm going to go focus this one.